Well, thank you, Nathan and Jeremy. And this is probably a good time before we open up our text to mention something as I think about those two gentlemen. It is now almost to the day two months since we have been doing this virtually. Uh, it seems crazy to think about that, but two full months of doing this. And uh, of course, for me, one of the things uh, that's been a blessing is just to, to come here on Sunday and in many ways, they're here before me, those two guys, and they set things up. And I just wanted to pause and, and acknowledge uh, Nathan and Jeremy and their hard work over these two months. You know, one of them is getting married in two weeks. The other one is co-teaching the class. Uh, so it's not like they're twiddling their thumbs. And uh, just very, very thankful for both those men. So on behalf of West Home Bible Chapel, Nathan, Jeremy, thank you uh, for your service to us. Uh, in bringing a virtual gathering every Lord's Day. So let's continue that thankfulness uh, to the Lord as we go to him in prayer now. Bow with me. Our great God, we thank you that you are a God that has drawn close to us. Thank you that you do not leave us alone. O oh Lord, you have searched us, you have known us. Father, you know when we sit down, you know when we rise up. Father, you discern our thoughts from afar, you search out our paths, our lying down. You're acquainted, Father, with all of our ways. Before we even speak, Lord, you know the words. You go behind us, you go before us, with your hand upon us. O oh Lord, such knowledge is too wonderful for us. It is too high for us to attain it. Where shall we go to flee from your spirit? Where shall we go to flee from your presence? O oh God, we are not alone. You are our company always and everywhere. May we take refuge in that truth today and most especially in these days. No isolation can separate us from you. Remind us of that, point us to that, strengthen us, help us now as we turn to your word to be reminded of that great truth that we are never alone. And we pray all these things to the praise and the glory of your great name in Christ Jesus. Amen. Westmont invites you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy, to the end of that book, the fourth chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 4. That's where we will be today, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Well, Westmount, as you're turning there, as we always do as we set our hearts on a text, just want you to consider with me that you are in isolation. You haven't had company for a long time. And that is a lot of time by yourself, sheltered at home, away from other people. Now to state the obvious, that has been the new normal these past two months. It's not a shock to anyone, we know that. In fact, the pandemic of COVID-19 has only produced a new pandemic, and it is this, the pandemic of loneliness. The pandemic of loneliness. According to one recent survey, 44% of the people responding, so that's almost half of the people, said that they are now lonelier than ever before. They're now lonelier more than ever before. That really is no surprise. Now, as much as we feel like this pandemic has thrust us into unprecedented loneliness, as much as we feel that, I would suggest to you this morning that loneliness is nothing new for us today. It is not as if we knew nothing of loneliness prior to COVID-19. No, no, prior to this year, the only difference was the fact that the message was subtle. Prior to COVID-19, it wasn't people telling you to isolate it was things pulling you to isolate, an undercurrent, if you will. Why have someone visit when you can simply drop them an email or a text? Why play a game together when you can play a game on your tablet or your phone? 
Why be in the same room together when you can have your own separate rooms? And why live the real life when you can have the vicarious life through social media? Church, the only difference with COVID-19 and isolation is that now, today, the message is bold and direct. Distance yourself. Isolate. Stay at home. Yes, we've actually been doing all of that already. And so COVID-19 comes along and it hasn't introduced a new problem. No, COVID-19 has only amplified an existing problem that has been growing and simmering for quite some time. And that is wide-scale, deep-seated, pandemic-esque loneliness. Now, we, before we look to the aid, the first aid, the spiritual first aid that's needed for loneliness... Let's make sure we address one important misunderstanding, and it's this. It's this. Loneliness is not a physical problem. Loneliness is not a physical problem. And curing it is not as simple as just having people around you, gaining more company. That's not the way it works. Some of the happiest people that I know live by themselves. And on the other side of the equation, some of the most miserable people I know are surrounded by people. That's not the way that loneliness works. No, the plague of loneliness is a problem that first resides here on the inside. Loneliness is a condition of the mind, not the body. Loneliness is an attitude. It's not an affliction. Westmount, this truth will be confirmed for us this morning in this text open in front of you. So what's the aid that is needed in the face of loneliness? What do we need? Well, it is company. That would be the opposite of loneliness, company. And as we've just reminded ourselves, we cannot be referring to company as it's popularly defined. We can't be. This is not just having a get-together. It's not just I'm waiting for that social gathering. It's not just being in an environment filled with people. We know that that's not what we're talking about. This spiritual first aid of company must, like all the aid that we have looked at in this series, it must be defined by the great definer himself, and that would be, of course, God. God defines loneliness, and from the very beginning, Westmount, God has defined loneliness not in terms of our relationship or our proximity to others, but he's defined loneliness in terms of our relationship to him. Think of the very beginning, there was garden banishment, loneliness from the very beginning. There was a relationship severed and broken from the opening chapters of Genesis. And you know, interestingly, as you think back now on those opening verses of the Bible, from the moment of that original sin, when Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They sought loneliness. Isn't that interesting? From the moment they sinned, they fled from the presence of God. And they sought what? The company, not of the creator. They sought the company of the created. What does the text say in Genesis 3? They fled to what? Amongst the trees of the garden. They wanted the company of created things, not the company of creator. That was the ancient response to loneliness. And beloved, it continues to be the response today. Nothing is new today, of course. Countless responding to their loneliness, seeking the company of the created over the creator. From trees to technology. Now it's true, God has given us created things, like other people even, right? For company. And others are tremendous blessings in times of isolation. Let's not miss that. That's not what we're saying. And we're going to have more to say about that later. However, we need to understand properly the difference between the means and the end. Again, we're going to really tease this apart as we go through this morning. The company of created things, not bad in and of itself, but it is not the end of the story. The created is not the end of the story. If it was, if it was, just surrounding yourself with people would make loneliness go away, right? That would be the remedy. But many of you know it doesn't. That doesn't cure loneliness. And that is not the company that God prescribes in loneliness. So with that clarified, let us look at the company that God does prescribe, that he does give, his spiritual aid. 
And to do that, we're going to drop down into the life of the Apostle Paul. We're going for a visit in his life by all earthly observations that comes at the loneliest moment of his life. There he sits in jail on death row awaiting execution at the end of his ministry and he is all alone. Again, by all earthly measures, it doesn't get more lonely than that. He's imprisoned again in Rome. This would be his second imprisonment, unlike the one we looked at a few weeks ago in Philemon, where there was a release expected and a release that happened. This is very different. This imprisonment is it for Paul. And Paul writes this final letter, the one that's open in front of you, this final personal note to Timothy, his young son in the faith. As the letter draws to a conclusion here in chapter 4, you're actually looking at the very last chapter the Apostle Paul penned in his life. And the reality of the Apostle's physical isolation comes to the forefront. Let's look at his words. Let's pick it up in verse 9 of chapter 4. Do your best to come to me soon. This would be to Timothy. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul, it appears, as you consider those verses, is quite isolated. However, he refers to being with company. Do you note that? Physically, he is isolated. He says, all have deserted me, but he refers to a number of pieces of company. In fact, three specific companies Three, that will help us as we combat isolation in these days. The company of the body, the company of the word, and the company of the Lord. So let's take some time with each one of those here as we minister spiritual first aid this morning from the word. Let's look at the first. Look at verse 9, the company of the body. Paul says this in verse 9. Do your best to come to me soon. Do your best to come to me soon. Paul, again, is in jail in Rome. Timothy is in Ephesus. Paul writes and says, come. Now, he is in jail. Of course, he could receive visitors, but that's quite a distance from Rome to Ephesus. And that simple expression shows us few important principles with what Paul is saying here. First, Paul may be an exemplary follower of Christ. I think that's beyond a shadow of a doubt He is a model to look up to, but the Apostle Paul was also a human being with real human desires like you and me. And his first desire expressed here, look at it, is for what? What's the first thing he desires? Physical company. Physical company. Turn to the opening chapter of this same letter. I mean, this is interesting. Look at verse 4 as he gives thanks to God for his ancestors, for other people, right? He picks it up in verse 4 of chapter 1. He says, As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. Paul, at the beginning of this letter, at the end, throughout, yearns, yearns for physical company. Beloved, this is important. We're not talking about some stoic Christianity that just says, buck up and you can be alone. That's not what we're talking about. No, grab here, first of all, that you are not alone in your desire for human company. The Apostle Paul feels the same. And more, we might add, as we see here, there is nothing wrong with that desire. God has given you that desire, we would say. 
Let me see it here. There's nothing wrong with it. So that's one that we pull from just this one verse. Second, Paul's real desire for others, his real desire for others in this desperate time on death row is not just for a warm body. It's not just for a warm body. He's not just looking for an Abishag here. This is not just keep me warm. He doesn't just appeal to be around just anyone. No, his appeal, look at it, is to who? To Timothy. That's who this letter is to. So he says directly to Timothy, come. Timothy, both a loved one, but a beloved one in the faith. And this is so helpful for us in our efforts to reach out to others. Because we would ask, well, who is it to? Who are we reaching out to? Is it just for anyone to be around you? Is it just for physical warmth? We could ask, is just anyone good for you right now in such challenging times? Paul doesn't call for just anyone. He calls for Timothy, not just his young son, but the same Timothy that he sends to Philippi with this reason, Philippians 2.20. He tells the Philippian congregation, this is what he feels about Timothy. He says this, 2.20, For I have no one like him, like Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Paul's call in his isolation is for this same Timothy, a son, a brother, one that Paul knows would be genuinely concerned for him. And Christian, it's true for you as well as we glean principles here. How many of us, how many of you want to reach out to someone, to anyone? You just want anyone. Yet that call always is not helpful. I was speaking to someone recently who reached out for a call amid this pandemic. And they were wrestling with something that had happened to them, some physical thing. And they were reaching out just to hear a voice, just to talk. And as it turns out, they reached out to the wrong person because they hadn't even finished their first sentence about what they were ailing with. And the person proceeded to say, oh yeah, I know that. And they launched into a half an hour diatribe about themselves. That's not... What we're talking about here, that's not the type of care Paul is reaching out for. He's reaching out to Timothy, one that he knows, here it is Christian, one that he knows that would be genuinely concerned about him, about him. Finally, thirdly, Paul says to Timothy, do your best. Look at that little expression, so powerful, do your best. Not just come to me, he says, do your best to come to me. Interesting. Now, that's no small detail. You say, why? Why is that? Well, if the ultimate cure for loneliness was just having someone beside you, if that was it, if the ultimate cure for loneliness, as defined by God, was just simply close proximity, then Paul could demand it. And more, God would make it happen, would he not? He would make that happen. Paul would say something like this, Timothy, do the right thing, do the godly thing, and come to me right now. But that's not what it says, right? Look at the text. That's not what it says. Paul simply says, do your best to come to me. In other words, it is both possible and understandable that you may not come. You see that? And Christian, it's both possible and understandable for your stead as well. That you may desire, and it couldn't be a good desire, to call on a brother or sister. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's also true that they may be unable to come. Again, church, this small detail tells us so much. I mean, you can't ask for better company, better physical company than Timothy of Lystra. You can't ask for better company than that. Yet we see here from Paul that it is ultimately possible that they remain apart. Now that physical uncertainty, mark this, doesn't mean that there is no company at all. In fact, it doesn't mean because physical company can't happen that there can't ever be spiritual company. Paul, in many places, refers to the company he enjoys regardless of proximity, regardless of being face-to-face. I want you to consider for a moment another of Paul's letters, the one that we just recently looked at just a few weeks ago, the letter to Philemon. And isn't it interesting, that letter came also from a jail cell, And Paul, speaking from that jail cell, can't be with Philemon, says this. Remember this from the book of Philemon. He he talks to Philemon, right, about this in verse 17. You consider me your partner, right? If you do, Philemon, then receive Onesimus, right? 
Verse 18, if he's wronged you or owes you anything, charge it to my account. Paul says he writes this with his own hand to say nothing of you owing me. And then he says this in verse 20. Yes, brother. Yes, Philemon, listen to this. I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. In other words, there is refreshment. There is company. There is something that can be the opposite of isolation, even though they are far away. And that can only happen between two brothers. Between two brothers. Beloved, that is the company of the body, the body of Christ. That is a company and a fellowship that is through the body, but here it is, but it's also greater than the body. That is company that's not dependent on presence. It doesn't hinge on we really need to be together because it's connected by much more than physical presence in flesh and blood. And even more, it is company that recognizes the realities of flesh and blood. And here it is. Here's where we really hit the road, especially when we think about our desires in such times. That kind of company, that kind of, let's just call it others' company that God prescribes, realizes, realizes that there are things about flesh and blood that would be limiting. Realities of flesh and blood like worldliness. Worldliness. Look at verse 10. Verse 10, for Demas, Paul continues, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now, what's interesting about the mention of Demas here, it's not just someone that pops up out of the blue. Demas was once a trusted companion of the Apostle Paul. In fact, he had physical company with the Apostle Paul. We get this, his physical ministry at the end of Colossians, at the end of Philemon, what we just read, Demas is with Paul, physically doing ministry. Yet, even though he was in close company with Paul, there was another company that gripped his heart. That company was the world, which revealed Demas was not truly in the company of the body of Christ. Demas, it turns out, was the one isolated. Westmount, I know it's true. I know it's true. We all have testimonies of flesh and blood company like this. You know of someone, maybe thinking of them right now, once your close companion. Maybe it seemed like they were in Christ, even on fire for Christ, but time proved it not to be so. And also with it, it proved how unfaithful the company of those outside the body really is. Westmount, before we turn to the company of just anybody, for a warm body, just someone in isolation, we heed this picture here of Demas. Yet, saying that, just as much as flesh and blood, and the check on it is for those in the body of Christ, like the two brothers Paul mentions next, there is another dimension we need to heed here. Look at verse 10. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. These are two brothers, presumably on assignment. We're very familiar with Titus, probably coming off his ministry on the island of Crete, on which the letter to Titus gives instructions for setting up churches on that island. Titus was there doing ministry. Well, presumably he goes off to Dalmatia with another ministry. So we know Titus. Crescens, we know absolutely nothing about. This is the only mention of him in the New Testament. All that we can presume from this is that he had some connection to Paul, and Paul charges him to go and do a ministry. In Galatia. Two brothers, and here it is, though, here's the point not physically with Paul. They're not there in that jail cell. They're not there in Rome. That is because their presence, their company was needed elsewhere. Elsewhere, presumably to other bodies of Christ. And, beloved, I want you to think about your state today. How true is that today? You have many brothers and sisters that are not with you right now. And by and large, for many of them, that's because they are needed elsewhere right now, whether it's with their own families, whether it's with other brothers and sisters. Yet you would say, it's not that they've abandoned you. What? They're doing the work of the ministry. We can, like Paul then, with that knowledge of other brothers and sisters on assignment, derive company from their work. And you know, sometimes their work does bring them close. We're not here to say he just... Uh, it's always going to be the fact that they have to be separate. We don't want to ride this pendulum. And this is what I love about this passage. It just continues to bring the balance. Sometimes their work brings them close to you. It's a necessity. 
like the next one. Look at verse 11. You know this companion of Paul, Luke alone is with me. Note that, Luke alone. Luke alone is with me. No matter how isolated in that cell, there is another there with Paul in proximity, Luke. And there he is again. He was there in the first imprisonment, and he's here in the second. By Paul's side. And who is Luke? Remember, he is the physician. He's the doctor. Likely personally ministering to Paul's wounds. And Paul, as 2 Corinthians 4 makes clear, had many wounds. 2 Corinthians 11 makes clear many, many wounds that he has. And let's not miss that. In this time of desperation, in this need and isolation, here it is. Think of that jail cell in Rome. God does not populate that jail cell with a bunch of shiny, happy people. That's not what God is doing here. It's not a collection of folks that Paul thinks he needs to meet his felt needs. That's not what's going on here. No, Paul's company in that cell is one person. And who is it? A doctor, a medical doctor, to meet real needs. God indeed provides the exact company that Paul needs in his isolation. Don't miss that. And again, that doesn't mean Paul cannot or should not desire more of others. That's not what we're talking about. It means God meets what Paul needs. In fact, as we keep reading in verse 11, we see this desire pop up again. Look at this in verse 11. Paul says as we continue, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful for me for ministry. Interesting. That's the same John Mark, by the way, that wrote the Gospel of Mark, likely a close companion of the Apostle Peter. Uh, We saw this John Mark right before when we studied that Gospel. Uh, so John Mark is, is all over. He pops up time and again. He was in the, the garden, very likely, at the time uh, of Christ's crucifixion, on and on. John Mark, John Mark has a very famous backstory. Remember when we studied Galatians? John Mark is the one on that first missionary journey when they literally land in Pamphylia, which is southern Galatia. And you think about all of these things that are happening to uh, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas in their ministry. And John Mark looks at them and likely says, you know what, I didn't sign up for this, I'm out. I am out. And he bails. He bails. And that's one where Paul and Barnabas eventually have a little falling out over that. But somewhere along the way since then, John Mark has been restored. Somewhere along the way, he comes back. He comes back. And how do we know that? Look at Paul's request for him here. And this request, by the way, should not be misunderstood for companionship. Church, let's be careful to not draw the wrong conclusions here. Let's not do that. Paul doesn't say, note this, this is what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, bring him, bring John Mark, as his presence will soothe me. No, what does Paul say? Look at it. He says, bring him, why? For he is useful for ministry, very useful for ministry. Just like another one in verse 12, talk about being useful, Tychicus, Tychicus is useful, Crescens, Titus, the company of the body, all of these men, not held tight, not held tight in isolation, but sent, the company of the body, and that's what you have, Christian, whether they're physically beside you or not, that's one that the Lord prescribes, let's look at the second, the company of the body, secondly, the company of the word, the company of the word, let's look at verse 13 together. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Paul, as we just consider his, uh, his footsteps, his path, how he got to this place, it would seem with this very likely he was seized in the city of Troas, which would have been between Rome and Ephesus, Right, but much closer to Ephesus, just north of Ephesus, in fact, in Asia. Paul likely arrested in the city of Troas while he was staying at Carpus's house. Arrested suddenly at Carpus's house, who was again likely a fellow brother. Taken without warning and without any time to gather his things. And here we have a list of the things, the precious things that were left behind. Look at them with me. First, he mentions his cloak. Cloak there would have been a heavy garment. It's just like a a circular garment, very heavy that you would just literally put over your head. It protected uh, the ancient from the elements, from the harsh winter elements. That's a cloak. In verse 21, by the way, we learn that winter's fast approaching. If you would read to the end, you would recognize Paul says to Timothy, 
speeding him, if you will, do your best to come, winter is coming. So warmth was sought. That's the cloak. Next, Paul says, also, look at it, the books. The books. These would have been various writings. Paul, in jail, has time on his hands. And he sought to fill that time well with what? Look at it. With books. By the way, these two items remind us that Paul, like us, is not just a spiritual being. I hope this is helpful for you today. Paul is not just a spiritual being. When we're isolated... Paul, us, we have physical needs as well to come through in this verse. Paul's isolated body will get cold, so he needs warmer clothing. That's very practical. Paul is looking to fill that isolated time well, so he asks for what? Books. Books. To acknowledge these things is not less than spiritual. It's human. It's human. Yet look closely here, along with these things, and more important than these, Paul says, above all, bring what? The parchments. The parchments you would know as scrolls made from the skin of sheep and goats. The parchments were thicker, more durable than papyrus. They were made for travel. They were made for travel, which was necessary for what they contained. What kind of words would be so important that you'd need to take them with you? I think you can start to put the pieces together. Most likely, we're talking about here the books of the Old Testament, the words of God by way of the prophets. And maybe even, some have speculated, we don't know for sure, the words of God that had been revealed to Paul, words, insights revealed to Paul. We just don't know. But very likely, at the very least, we're talking about Old Testament texts, those parchments. Paul says of those things, above all, bring the parchments. In other words, if you remember just one thing, Timothy, when you come, please, oh please, bring God's word. Paul's dying wish here echoes that, by the way, of William Tyndale, centuries later, writing a letter from a Belgian prison, also, by the way, awaiting execution. In 1535, William Tyndale would be martyred for his work in giving us one of the first English translations of the Bible. Well, as he too dwelt in prison isolation, he wrote this letter to the governor. Listen closely, and I know it'll sound familiar. Tyndale said this, I quote, I entreat your lordship that if I must remain here for the winter, that you would beg the authorities to be so kind as to send me my warm cap, for my head is cold, and a warmer cloak, for the one I have is very thin, but most of all my Bible, that I may spend my time in that pursuit. Tyndale, like Paul, sought the company of the word. Again, there's nothing wrong with seeking the company of clothes or books. And you see that here. There's nothing wrong with that. But we need to recognize their place, especially alongside something that's above all. Those are, we would go on to say, clothes and books. Those are needed for our warmth, our wellness, and our productivity. Yet for both these men of God, they recognized that above all, there was one company above these things. One company that was essential in their time of need. To use a word that's very much on our minds these days. This was the essential company for Paul. The word of God. And what is worthy of note for both men, these two fellow Christians, is that even in the face of death, they never lost their interest in study. Isn't it amazing? I want you to think for a moment if you were on death row if you were in a jail cell awaiting execution and you could ask for one thing uh, and, and you could fill your time with one thing, would it be study? Would you think, well, okay, what book of the Bible can I study now? Well, that's what they did. They didn't, didn't look at their time on death row. They didn't look at this last season of life and say, you know what, I've been there, I've done that. All of that study is behind me. In isolation, in distress, they didn't look for new interests. Instead, they found company in the ancient words, the word of God. And Christian, it begs us to ask that question as we look at this text. Do we seek company here as well? I ask that not to shine a spotlight on your spare time during isolation. That's not the point this morning. But to point you to those that have gone before us facing much more challenging circumstances, much more strife. 
I mean, both Paul and Tyndale faced execution. And listen to this. For Paul, it was sure. Look at verse 6 of chapter 4. Paul says this, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and then this, and the time of my departure has come. Of all the certain statements Paul makes in God's word, that one has to stand out the most at the end of his life. Death is coming. He will die. He will die. Yet what got him through that isolation? What words did he seek? What got Tyndale through that prison, that death sentence? What, what words did Tyndale seek? The words of God. Church, if we would heed the hearts and examples of these men that have gone before us, because we too, I know you do, you are seeking words in this pandemic. In fact, is it not true every day you wake up, every week you're seeking, what's the new word about COVID-19? What are the words that I can gather? What is the new word about this virus? We seek theoretical words. We seek the latest words. We seek easy words. We seek data words. You seek clinical words, you seek political words, you seek social words, all of them. And for some, maybe you, you're confronted with the very pandemic that Paul referred to just a few verses later in a thirst for words. Took you to verse 6, look at verse 3. This is what he says to Timothy again. These are his dying words. Verse 3, for the time is coming. When people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. My, oh my, we could do just a side sermon just on that alone and how true those words are today. Love it. It's painful for many of us to see so many in the church turning to myths and other words versus the inerrant, true, eternal word of God. Yes, in good times, we have no problem with the charge. Look in verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. We have, in, when times are good, we have no problem with that charge. But something happens to us when times are bad. Somehow, some way along the way, we get restless with the ancient words. When the pandemic hits, God's word is not enough. And we seek the company of other words. We seek temporal words for our warmth. Temporal words, earthly words, words of men that turn us away from listening to the truth. This was exactly what Paul was warning of Timothy. We will wander off into myths if we don't stay on the word. Westman, I just have to tell you, it's amazing. It is amazing how we bypass, hold lightly, and sometimes just miss entirely the word of God. It really is. It is the sure word we have complete access to all the way through this pandemic. When everything is stripped from you and you're isolated, you have this to keep you warm. It's right there by your side. It's open in front of you right now, keeping you company. But I ask you, do you let it keep you company? Friend, the word of God is the only word that can truly, truly keep you company now. One more, we've looked at the company of the body, the company of the word. Last one, the company of the Lord. We turn our attention to the last section here in verse 14. Let's just read it to 18. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The heart of this section, look there in verse 17, is this. Paul says, but the Lord stood by me. That's really the heart of this second half here. Paul in jail, alone with all these circumstances against him. Paul in this isolated state is sure of who stands by his side. What a picture. He is sure of the company of the Lord. That is is comfort here at the end. And he's sure of the company of the Lord in four very distinct ways. Let's track verse by verse through it. Number one, he's sure of the company of the Lord through the company of the Lord's justice. Look back at verse 14. 
Alexander, by the way, whoever Alexander is, very likely not the Alexanders we've seen before from 1 Timothy 1, Acts 19, likely a very different one, hence that he's called the coppersmith to distinguish him from others. All we know is that he has attacked Paul. He's made things difficult for him. In fact, Paul doesn't say, he's done me harm. He says what? Look at it. Great harm. He's done me great harm. Paul doesn't dwell then on what that harm is. He just says it. But instead, he says what? That the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. That's interesting. Beloved, in isolation, are you fretting about all the injustices that you see? Does that consume your thoughts? You look around at all the injustices, the stores overcharging, the people gathering that you feel that they shouldn't, the hypocritical politician, all the wrongs you see. Are you fretting about that injustice? Well, you don't need to in the company of the Lord. Do you see Paul here? Paul's not fretting about Alexander and the injustice there. Paul says here, the Lord will repay. Now listen, it doesn't mean we wish ill on others. That's not what we're talking about here. But it means where Paul rests. It does mean that we take comfort in isolation, that one day the Lord will take care, not just of some, but all of it, all of it will be taken care of by God. And we can take company in the Lord in that. The company of no earthly expert or human court can ever guarantee that. That's one of your great comforts in this, that one day the Lord will make all of this right. Second, in terms of the company of the Lord, we see it not just through his justice, but we see the company of the Lord's mercy. Look at verse 16. Look at verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. The first defense you see Paul referring to there is kind of like a preliminary hearing. Those familiar with the judicial system, before you get into the meat of the proceedings, you have a preliminary hearing. Just the judge needs to understand the lay of the land, needs to understand the whole context, and that's what Paul is likely referring to here. And I want you to imagine the courtroom on that day of Paul's preliminary hearing may be filled with accusers and onlookers, but none of them, as filled as it is, are standing there with Paul. Paul stands alone. In fact, look at the image. All have deserted him. Paul says, all have deserted me in that hearing. And Paul's response to that scene, to that feeling, not only the feeling, but the reality of being alone, his response is very instructive, Westmount, for us. Look at the end of verse 16. Paul says, and he says this in his disappointment and his isolation, he says, may it not be charged against them. You know, you can imagine looking at that scene, right? One may say, well, Paul, you have every right to, to get back at them for this, to have harsh words for them, right? To, to have them get it paid back to them in some sense, right? That's kind of the, the currency of the day would say, Paul, wow, after all that they've done. But that's not the currency of Paul or God here. Paul, he knows that bitterness is harmful company. Westmount Mark that. Paul knows that bitterness is harmful company, but not mercy, not mercy, not the Lord's mercy. That's a comfort, and that's true company. So we see the company of the Lord's justice, the company of the Lord's mercy. We see the company of the Lord's strength. Look at verse 17. Paul says, but the Lord stood by me and what? And strengthened me. What a powerful picture. Let's return to that preliminary hearing. Paul, it would appear to the natural onlooker, stands alone and is isolated. By the way, very similar to centuries later, Athanasius would against the world. Centuries after that, Luther would, presumably against a whole council of men. Paul standing in line, right, with these godly men standing alone. But he's not alone, like Athanasius wasn't and Luther wasn't. Not standing alone. Here, here, when you think about that scene, Paul alone in that hearing, we see definitively how company is much more than physical. And it's much more than by what we're observing by our naked eye. In that hearing, Paul does not stand alone. By Paul's own words, who's standing right beside him? It's the company of the Lord. And here it is not just cheering on Paul with his arm around Paul, say, you go, Paul. No, He's giving him strength. The divine almighty is filling Paul with strength in his time of isolation. Upheld by the strong arm of the Lord. Just as the Lord has always declared for his faithful. 
Isaiah 41.10, to his people, God says this, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's the picture. Westman Paul stood alone, but he stood in the strength of the Lord, and so do you today. No matter your isolation, you stand in the company of the Lord's strength. One more company of the Lord here we see in the back half of this section. The company of the Lord's hope. The company of the Lord's hope. Look at verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Remember that Paul is certain that he will be executed. We looked at that already. He is certain. He knows it's happening. He knows he will lose his life. Yet, how does that certainty mesh with the certainty that you see here in verse 18? What's he also certain about? Look at what he says. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Paul says, speaking of rescue and deliverance and certainty, he says, the Lord will rescue me. Amazing. Even more, Paul speaks of being brought safely somewhere. Now, we're going to have much more to say next week on the eradication of evil in the heavenly kingdom, so we'll save all that for next week. For now, the point is that Paul, in the face of isolation and death, has hope. That's the key. In his isolation, facing death, he has hope. He has a future hope that only, mark it, only the company of the Lord can bring. Paul, facing the wave of death, is not tossed to and fro. He is sure. He is steady. He knows his hope is in Christ Jesus. And listen, Westmount, only the company of the Lord and his hope can bring that. That's the company of the Lord. Well, Christian, as we've aimed to do in this series, we want to end practically. We want to end practically. That's been the point of this spiritual first day, to give you something, uh, not just theological, and I pray we do that when we understand God's word, but how to take that theology and live it. What does this company then look like? I want to offer an application for each point we've looked at today as we close. Number one, I would simply say this. When we think about the company of the body, don't add to your isolation. Christian, do not add more to your isolation. And we have a habit of doing this, even before the pandemic. We take isolation and we add to it. This pandemic has done enough to thrust you into the worst of isolation. So don't add to it even more by cutting yourself off, forsaking opportunities. Listen, reach out to your brother, to your sister. Get out as we are allowed to do now, more and more being encouraged to do. Amazing to hear the narrative change a little bit. Get out, be wise, be responsible. Seek the company of the body in all the ways that you can right now. So encouraged by this yesterday, Chapel Men, we had a Zoom meeting. And one of the things, as much as, in a sense, we're all kind of sick of screens and Zooms, one of the great encouragements of Chapel Men has been to see those men, and you know them, that are not technological. They, they don't know a computer from their arm, but in one sense, there they were on the screen. Because they were doing what? Taking advantage of an opportunity for connection. Such an encouragement to Jerry and I to see that. That's what we're talking about. Take advantage of the opportunities that God gives. And one other piece, by the way, when I say don't add to your isolation, one other piece that really begs adding here, and it's for the post-virus landscape, whatever that will be. I pray that on the other side of COVID, Westmount, as we begin and you hear more about reopening and getting back to whatever normal would be, I pray that you have a new appreciation after COVID-19, and it's this, an appreciation for the face-to-face -face gathering. I pray that you come out of COVID-19 understanding what a great privilege we have to gather together physically. And I wonder, I wonder if your approach to Sunday mornings, Wednesday evenings, chapel events will be a little different after COVID-19. Maybe some of the reasons that we are so prone to throw up for missing fellowship will not seem so important after COVID-19. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says this, two are better than one. Why? 
goes on to say, because they have a good reward for their toil. And then this, verse 10, Woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Let that not be us. Beloved, during this virus or after the virus, don't add to your isolation. Two, don't mistake fillers for fulfillment. Don't mistake fillers for fulfillment. It is true, church, the Lord has granted us many things to enjoy in this pandemic. Walks to see the trees in bloom this spring. Good books, well-written yarns, if you will. Good stories that uplift. But don't mistake any of those good fills for the great fulfillment. In Westmont, our isolation, our company deficit can only ultimately be fulfilled by Christ. And that is being filled by his word in the company of his word. Let those words above all things, above all leisure, all occupation, above all time spent, let that, those words be your company. Psalm 19, speaking of the words of God, says this in verse 10, More to be desired are they, the words of God, than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and dripping of the honeycomb. Listen, gold and honey are great things, and they certainly were in the ancient times. They were the best of the best. They were great fills, but they had nothing on the fulfillment of the word of God. Thirdly and lastly, understand the shortcomings of earthly presence. This is kind of tied to the second. Understand the shortcomings of earthly presence. We have a habit of thinking that our isolation will be cured by simply the presence of other things, don't we? Whether it's as simple as TV background noise or just being with others, we think that will cure our loneliness. Now listen, unless those things or people cause you to sin, their presence is not wrong. And more, God gave us many fills to enjoy. We've said that a lot this morning. That point to his benevolent, generous character. He wants to bless. But church, listen, we run into trouble when we look to the presence of those to keep company where they were never intended to keep ultimate company. Ultimately, they all will come up short. All of those companies, all those earthly companies come up short. That does mean when we look for ultimate fulfillment in marriage, in children, in grandchildren, in friends, in our church family, all of those things are good, but they will always come up short. Ultimate fulfillment, everlasting presence is only found in the company of the Lord. Psalm 1611, in your presence, O Lord, there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And that's a fitting place to end this morning. Westmount, no self-isolation can remove you from the company of the Lord. I encourage you to live in his company today because only there are you truly never alone.